It's Saturday Night with Bruce Welsh for Tony McManus. Just on 26 minutes after 10 on this Saturday night. Great little track there, Jerry Harrison, Rev It Up. And a man that revs it up each and every week with information from the mighty US of A. Kurt Clad is on the line. How are you, Kurt? Hey, I'm doing very well. And I enjoyed hearing Tamson talk about the fat bear because here <laughs> in southern Nevada, we have the ram cam. Our uh, state animal here is the bighorn sheep, more commonly known as rams. And yeah. these male rams, they could get big. They could go up to like 135K. So they are some pretty large animals. And in some communities, they just wander out in the streets and there's this one park in boulder city near where the hoover dam is that they say they have so many they have started the ram cam so you can log on and hopefully see some rams out there same way with the bears i've probably logged on two dozen times and so far never seen a ram so i'm waiting for them to show up but i think we have more certainty in seeing the ring of fire eclipse which is going to go into Totality. And right about two hours from now, it extends from the Pacific Northwest. It doesn't go to totality right where we are, but in northern Nevada, it does. And so right. the moon does not completely cover the sun, so it's not safe to look at uh, without, you know, augmented glasses or appropriate safety measures. But you just have that ring of the sun around it. And it's actually going to where it goes uh, into totality, or at least covers as much of the moon as it, uh, this moon covers as much of the sun as it can. It's got to reduce uh, solar energy by about 90% for a couple of hours, but somehow I think we can make it through. So <laughs> that'll be interesting to see. It'll go through our area, down through Arizona, Texas, and then eventually down into South America as the well, day progresses. We had it here at Exmouth, um, was it earlier this year or last year? And uh, yeah, it's very exciting, very exciting. And what it does do, Kirk, is it delivers... Tourism. There are people yeah. that follow these things around the world. It's some very uh, uninhabited areas. It's like getting it in the middle of WA in some areas of uh, northern Nevada. I mean, there is nobody there. In fact, one of the highways there, US 50, is known as America's loneliest road because mm. there are just so few people there. But it'll be fun to see. Doesn't I'll uh, actually go outside, take a look. See absolutely. What's going on. But just don't look directly at it. Use yep. a pin on the paper or whatever. And um, that uh, US 50, does that go past Area 51 or the. <laughs> It's just to the north of Area 51. Area 51. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you still gotta stay away from that Area 51 because the troops will come and get you if you <laughs> got you. too close. There's interesting, there is uh, some 737s. They're white 737s with a red stripe and they fly every day back and forth between Las Vegas and Tonopah, which is they actually have an airport there at Area 51. So it's actually mm. in Area 51 and those are for the folks that work there to commute some of those folks every day commute via 737 from las vegas up to area 51 it's got to be the most uh, innovative employee transit system uh, i pretty much have ever seen absolutely right speaking about aircraft uh, we've obviously just had a Qantas plane go in and pick up some people from the uh, right from that mid-east war that's going on at the moment your president 
Yeah, very interesting what he's done. He's taking this personally, and they actually had to walk back some of the claims the White House made about what Hamas did, the atrocities there. Just there's no downplaying how serious they were, but exactly uh, what uh, happened there. The, even the president had some misinformation there. But he is obviously very, very personally involved in what's going on. We have Americans that are hostages there. Some talk, I was just looking at Bloomberg, some talk that perhaps this weekend the foreigners that are hostages can get out. And a lot of Americans, a lot have dual citizenship. And I think a couple of my cousins have uh, dual European, Dutch, and American citizenship. So I think that's a case with a lot of these Americans that are leaving. They're actually dual citizens. But there are no doubt some Americans that are held hostage. And the president met via Zoom meeting with 14 different families that have their loved ones over there in harm's way. And he spent over an hour with them. CBS News asked him why he he spent so much time and uh, got so personally involved with the families of the hostages in the Middle East. Because I think they have to know that the president of the United States of America cares deeply about what's happening. Deeply. We have to communicate to the world this is critical. This is not even human behavior. It's, it's pure barbarism. And we're going to do everything in our power to get them home if we can find them. But the thing is that we've got going on, Bruce, is America doing everything it can with the Middle East? Because National Public Radio here in the U.S., they just put out their headline for their daily morning email Saturday morning here in the West. Chaos at home and abroad. We have congressional chaos. So what can can America do right now? Here's Massachusetts Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton. There's a lot Congress can do to support Israel. There's a lot Congress has done to support Israel. But we're pretty much paralyzed right now by not having a Speaker of the House. And this is unprecedented in American history. Of course, America has been an enormous benefactor to Israel since its creation back in 1948. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think it's in the whole time, in the, that length of time, what, 70 plus years now, uh, close to $300 billion that the uh, U.S. has given to Israel over those years. And I figured it out, Israel, a little under 10 million in population. So over the totality that Israel has been a state since 1948, America has given about $26,000 U.S. to every Israeli citizen over that length of time. So we definitely have been one of the reasons that uh, Israel has been able to thrive. But the fact is, we have, are we going to thrive, continue to thrive here in the U.S.? What a bad example we're setting for developing nations because we always have viewed America, at least for many years after World War II, as the moral leader in the world. But now we can't even get a Congress that works. Mm. Now, earlier this week, this is what uh, the majority leader in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, Steve Scalise from Louisiana, had to say. I want to thank my House Republican colleagues for just designating me as the speaker. Well, he enjoyed that for maybe one day. (laughs) 
<laughs> he didn't get the job, Bruce. Mm. And no vote yet in the House of Representatives. In fact, they are so confused to disorganize the Republicans. They just sent everybody home because they're still trying to shore up support for a candidate. Republicans trying to avoid the on-the-floor repeat of the embarrassing 15-vote ordeal that now made ousted Kevin McCarthy speaker back in January. The Democrats are saying, hey, we have 212 firm votes. You need 217. You want to get America going? Let's just have a coalition government. All they need is five Republicans to come over and vote for, or they could even have 10 Republicans abstain, and you would have a Democrat as Speaker of the House. And if they did, those Republicans would have a tremendous amount of clout in what legislation gets passed. But now they've gone from very conservative Steve Scalise to extraordinarily conservative Jim Jordan, who really hasn't done much in his time in Congress about 16 years, except make a lot of news. He's now the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And speaking of committees, uh, this guy Jim Jordan's from Ohio. Let's check in with former Congresswoman and the co-chair of when we had it, the January 6th committee, Liz Cheney, to see what she has to say about Jim Jordan. If the Republicans decide that Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House, there would no longer be any possible way to argue that a group of elected Republicans could be counted on to defend the Constitution. That is extraordinarily powerful because, uh, you know, of course, Liz Cheney was a Republican, still is, but would not be. She said she would not support Donald Trump if he was the nominee. But what she contends is that more than almost any other member of Congress, Jim Jordan had advanced knowledge of what was going to happen on January the 6th. He defied a subpoena from her committee. And right now, honestly, I don't think he's going to get the Speaker of the House gavel. But the question is, who will? And until we get someone who gets that gavel, America, as far as our one-third of our government, the uh, congressional branch of our government, is simply paralyzed and unable to do anything. And we have got the budget, I think, what, five weeks from now. America's out of money again. New money needs to be appropriated to help Ukraine, which has certainly fallen on the back burner of the news. So it will be remarkable to see what happens. It's a day-to-day unfolding drama. Bruce, you don't have to watch those Mexican novellas on Spanish television which are crazy or watch a soap opera we just watch what's going on on capitol hill it's nuts and what happens there could never have been written it's true i mean i really think if 25 years ago i mean i still have the newspaper the washington post that says nixon resigns and as crazy as it was then when i was a kid it may even be crazier now Mm, yes indeed but it's just on 24 minutes away from 11. I think we'll just take a break here and we'll come back right. to your next story, which looks very disturbing, I must admit. On Perth 6PR, it's Saturday night with Bruce Welsh for Tony McManus. And we're with our US correspondent and Kirk. Unfortunately, it's becoming a weekly event, isn't it? It's a weekly report that you have each and every week when you talk to us here. Another mass shooting. 
It, it is really remarkable. But what we've got going on now here in the U.S. is we're just focused so much as far as the news on what's happening in the Middle East and the chaos in Congress we just talked about. And I think America has been just, you know, we, we just can't get that worked up because, as you say, Bruce, it just happens so often. But I was thinking, can you imagine the news coverage if in rural Western Australia, five, five police officers were shot trying to execute a search warrant? That's what happened this week in Minnesota, rural Minnesota. Now, Roger Anderson, he's one of the neighbors. He uh, lives near where the shooting happened. I think it's very good neighborhood, but when you see something like this, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know, that's what happens. You just go, wow. The suspect has now been arrested. The shooting made very little national news, in part because, thankfully, all five wounded officers are expected to recover. Happened in a rural area, and news a lot of times just the same way it is with uh, real estate. It's location, location, location. Uh, Same story, same events that would take place, say, in the middle of Manhattan compared to, say, here in this case, the middle of Minnesota. Huge difference. and how much news they make. And also, because this year we're averaging close to two mass shootings every day. So America, unfortunately, become numb to that. And some people are pointing out the hypocrisy that we have here. We're outraged. We're focused. We're keeping an eye on everything that's happening in the Middle East. And yet, nobody seems to be doing anything to stop the shootings here in the United States. Now we're up to 543 for the year as our mass shooting total. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And as you say, it's just becoming an accepted way of life. It is. It's it's really a shame. And I just, especially with our crippled Congress right now, at least in the foreseeable future, nothing can be done about it except maybe just grow some of your own. We'll stay with a little different story from Minnesota. Minnesota is known as the North Star State. Now, we'll check in with a gentleman whose name is Tanner Barris. He is president of the nonprofit, non-accredited Minnesota Cannabis College. Cannabis is not really a gateway drug, but it is that gateway drug to agriculture. That's right. Start your own business. Grow your own. Recreational marijuana is now legal in the state, but dispensaries, as the pot shops are often known as, won't be open until 2025. So a unique course. They had several dozen people show up. The uh, school is teaching a home-growing marijuana boot camp. Be interesting <laughs> to see if that ever shows up in, in Perth one day. So what he's saying is you can start growing pot and that will lead to growing oats or corn. You know, you just (laughs) get into agriculture and maybe you could start a marijuana business. The whole industry, the legal marijuana industry, has really had a tough couple of years. And Everybody thought that banking would be legal because legal marijuana is legal in many states, I think 23, 24 now, but it's still not legal federally, so all the business has to be transacted in cash because banks legally can't take the money. So it, like everything else, is unbelievable. Unbelievably confusing. Christopher Columbus was born in Genoa, Italy in 1451. Yeah, that is part of a very confusing holiday that we have here in the United States. I would call it our most confusing and conflicted holiday, in part because it celebrates a man who never set foot, Bruce, on what is now the United States. You heard him there, Christopher Columbus, and now 531 years. Talk about things that go on in debate for a long time, more than five centuries. 
Series. After he landed in what is now the Bahamas in 1492, Columbus, he's as much of a polarizing figure as ever. So we had this week on Monday... Uh, uh, what I would call a quasi-holiday. You have most government offices, banks, the post office, many schools were closed while most businesses were open. While Columbus Day has been celebrated in one form or another since 1792, 300 years after he landed, two years ago, here is what happened. Joe Biden signed a presidential proclamation that declared a national holiday, Indigenous Peoples Day. But what is so interesting here about this, Bruce, this kind of almost ties it with, with what you guys were dealing with, with the voice boat. But here for us, yes, both holidays are on the same day. So you have Columbus Day celebrated in some locations, Indigenous Peoples Day celebrated in others, and some places try to do both. And the holiday even politicized in educational videos for kids. More and more we're seeing, you know, history it is or isn't, but what a lot of kids are taught about history now in large part depends on what school district they attend. Mm. So is that now a full holiday or is it still a quasi where it's more or less well, a no, no, it, an in- institution it, holiday? It's an institution holiday. Basically, the banks, the, if you work for the post office, the bank, the federal government, you'll get it off. And oh. it depends on what city. Some cities will close down for Indigenous Peoples Day. We have at least 100 cities now where Columbus Day, no more. It's only Indigenous Peoples Day. But as far as the federal government is concerned, they have both on the same day, Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day is the same day, which is a little confusing. Absolutely. So, where are you taking us now? <laughs> We're going to go back in time. Back, back in, in I remember time. outside of my studio window when I was just a baby disc jockey in California, I remember seeing the Olympic torch just come by the window out on the street. It was very <laughs> exciting. So we're going to take you back to 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. <laughs> She became and still is uh, a household name in the United States. That was when she was 16 years old, little girl. I mean, I mean, little. She's under five feet tall from West Virginia, became the first American gymnast to win the gold medal in the individual all around competition. Some cynics will say, well, yeah, that's the year the Russians boycotted. But uh, nonetheless, it was an amazing achievement. She went to have her face on a cereal box, uh, became a kind of a little media celebrity. She's still. Well, recently, as much as 2018, was on Dancing with the Stars. Wow. Now at 55, uh, according to her daughter, she is intensive care with a rare form of pneumonia. Let's check in here with our dancing partner who talked to her from that 2018 Dancing on the Stars. His name is Sasha Farber. She's fighting. She she kind of wants to give up. I've, I'm sending her videos of her dancing, and I'm like, I'm telling her there's only one Mary Lou Redden. And her daughter just updated folks today, say she's still fighting. Now, that's sad enough. But what is confusing to me is someone who is a household name in America, you know, a major celebrity for at least a time, can somehow, Retton has become one of the more than 10% of Americans without 
health insurance. So her daughter has been doing crowdsourced donations to help pay for her care. And so far, well over a quarter of a million dollars has been raised. But it's just like, what? You have this name that everybody, at least of my age, is yeah. familiar with and knows. And she's out there raising money for medical care without health insurance. I think it just goes to show if it can happen to somebody like that, it can happen to anybody. So that is just uh, another partial indictment of our system here that even a prominent celebrity is wondering how they're going to pay for their health care. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We are looking forward to something that's coming up very shortly. Ah, six weeks from now, and it, we've been dealing with it for more than six weeks with the construction on the strip, repaving everything, who's paying for that repaving, all the stands that have gone up, a lot of heat on the folks at MGM who own the Bellagio, because they cut down all the trees in front of the hotel along the strip to put in the bleachers. Oh, they, really? They, yeah, they say they're going to put them back. But, but, yeah, that was a lot. They said, oh, they were supposed to dig them up and move them. So trees have been a big controversy with the Las Vegas Grand Prix. But um, it's, what's interesting is maybe organizers are trying to be nice to us locals because, as I've reported, incredibly high ticket prices. Um, they've reduced the lowest price ticket prices, which I think I reported on a couple of weeks ago. They were about 2000 U.S. for a three-day pass to down 90% to just $200, but there's one catch. You have to be a Nevada resident. Now, another reason we may see falling ticket and hotel prices is that Max Verstappen is just so far ahead in the F1 standings. I, I don't, I'm not a total F1 aficionado, but I'm not sure, Bruce, at this point, if uh, anybody can catch him. So we shall see how this all works out. Well, he has already won the championship, but I think the whole... Okay, there you go. The whole circus on the Vegas Strip will be something very worthwhile to see, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, $2,000 a ticket, uh, admittedly for the three days, it's still a, it's a big chunk of money. That is that is crazy. And, of course, it, by and large, probably a lot of 6PR listeners know more about F1 than we do here in the United States. The third one, they've got one in Miami, one in Austin, and now here in Las Vegas. And if you had just had six numbers, oh, my gosh. this is I, I can't even imagine what that person is going through. An instant billionaire this week, one person in California, I think it was a little convenience store again, somewhere north of L.A., won the Powerball drawing worth 1.73 billion U.S. dollars, the second largest win in Powerball history. But you can't get a ticket here in Nevada. We're one of the couple of handful of states that don't sell the tickets. Is that right? Because, you know, yeah, they they want us to go to the casino, so okay. you can't get the. T- there's there's talk that will change in the future, but it's still a long way off. Yeah, no 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 lotteries in Nevada, just 400 plus casinos. So there you go. That money, the 1.73 billion, sounds like a lot, but it'll only be enough to fund the U.S. government for 109 minutes. So. <laughs> That's it. I'm sure they're not going to fund the government, though. I think they're just going to no, fund that, themselves. That would be so nice. That would be so nice if they did here. I'm just turning it over to the government. But talk about, you know, we have bad news here. And, and then we also have good news. And this is just a, a, such a delightful story. And it's got a little bit of a sad twist. But what what an adventure she had. October 1st, so just two weeks ago, mm-hmm. one she was going to turn 105, by the way, in December. Wow. 104-year-old Chicagoan. Dorothy 
Hofner set a world record as the oldest person to skydive. It's really a wonderful feeling to, you know, to see the, the earth under you. So pretty. So this is this is what you want in life. She had obviously there. That was after she sky did the skydive, and then earlier this week, she passed away oh. in her sleep. But what a way to go! Prompting the U.S. Oh, Parachute Association to say they were forever grateful that skydiving was a part of her exciting, well-lived life. I tell you what, this this I almost tearing up reading this yeah. to you because the woman now has passed away but what an incredible life what it lived to a hundred almost 105 go skydiving as your last event see the earth beneath you before your earthly journey comes to an end we should I mean, never give up on our bucket list items by the time i love that i and to have it and to have the mental faculties, as she clearly did right up in there, until literally her dying breath. And another goodbye, but what another great journey this guy had. We say goodbye to a soul and rock and roll pioneer this week, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, Rudolph Isley, one of the Isley brothers, I loved them as a kid growing up, has died at 84. Isley died with his wife. They got married young, wife of 65 years, 65 Fantastic. years by his side. So we'll leave you, and uh, maybe you have time if Katie's got it, your fabulous board operator. She's got the whole song. Maybe we'll leave you with, uh, <laughs> if not, we'll just play a taste, we'll just a taste of the Isley Brothers' first hit from uh, 1959. That's how far we go back that went on to become a classic. <laughs> A huge song and particularly a big song. I think that actually did chart here in Australia at the time, Kirk, but uh, we had a bigger version of that done by Johnny O'Keefe, J-O-K, right. which uh, was was quite a big, bigger than that particular yeah, version. A, but that song, Rolling Stone magazine, I think, rated that song as one of the top 150 of the rock era. So, yeah, but a great life. Here again, 84, you hope you go a little longer, but still, to create so much great music over those years, and he was a very spiritual man, too, I know as well. So, believe it or not, Bruce, this is very unprecedented. Two weeks in a row, I've got through everything that I had for you. <laughs> It's just the way you flow, my friend. Now, look after yourself. Go out, enjoy the eclipse, but don't look into I will. it. Okay? I will. I, I think our former president did that at one point on the uh, White House balcony. This so is, we shall. This is see. the only time we can say to you: don't go towards the light, Kirk. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, listen. Talk I'll to look you. forward to speaking with you. Are you Are you with uh, for Tony again next no, week? No, no. I'm not sure who uh, is. Uh, I'll be a mis I'll be speaking to a mystery voice. Then you I'll will look then. forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's been fantastic talking to you. Take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks. Bye.